business and buckets. We are live, episode 112, coming at you on this beautiful Tuesday afternoon. It's in like the mid-50s out here in, in the desert, so getting a little chilly for me. Um, I'm not used to the winter weather as it's been 60s, 70s, so dropped down a little bit. This past weekend, went on my first desert hike. Got to hike um, Camel Pack, uh, Mountain Right in Scottsdale, uh, one of the more notorious places. Definitely a different hike than what I'm used to coming out of Montana and Washington. The hikes here are um, not as long and extravagant, but it was still a cool scene to catch the sunrise here in Phoenix, uh, see the valley in its finest moments on a beautiful, sunny, sunny Saturday. And like I said, it's a little bit more chilly here, but I could use it as I'm getting ready to head to Montana for the Christmas holiday. It is going to be a cold son of a gun. And uh, I need to acclimate a little bit. Enough about that, though. Uh, before we talk, a loaded show after 282 and previewing the last fight night card before the new year. We're going to talk Fueled Supplements, the one and only sponsor here at Business and Buckets. So if it's not broken, why fix it? That's the inspiration behind Fueled Supplements' newest creatine, uh, newest product, creatine monohydrate. So why would you guys want to take creatine? Well, creatine monohydrate is one of the more well-researched and effective natural supplements available for increasing muscle performance. Creatine enhances performance by supplying a pool of ATP, which acts as the muscle tissue's primary energy source for fuel during explosive bursts of energy, power, and strength. You get 100 servings. It's non-GMO, gluten-free, safe, and effective. You guys know the deal. Use promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off at FueledSupplements.com. Once again, promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K-E-T-S. So before we talk Bellator, UFC 282, there has been some things happening around the MMA world, including some quick matchmaking by the head honchos in the UFC. That includes Glover Teixeira, Jamal Hill fighting for the vacant title after the draw that we'll break down later on the show. Um, quick work by the matchmakers there. Love to see Glover getting a shot, Jamal Hill getting a shot, um, you know, letting some new blood come in and fight for the title. That should be a fun one. Really a clash of styles. And then we have Nazrat Haparis taking on Jamie Malarkey, two young guys showing some flashes. It'll be interesting to see how they match up. And then with the Tracy Cortez injury, they were supposed to fight two weeks ago. Amanda Ribas is taking on Vivian Araujo. Uh, amazing, skilled matchup between the two women there. Should be fun to see how that one shakes out. And because of all the finishes, Dana White filling the Christmas spirit. All fighters with the finish on this card getting 50 Gs, getting the bonus. That's 11 fighters with 50 G bonuses. Raul Rojas Jr. can buy his mom a minivan to take him to practice and all. And then we are going to talk the MMA awards uh, that have been announced this past weekend. The uh, fighter of the year was um, dubbed Alexander Volkanovsky. I thought that was the, the only choice really to make. There was Islam Makachev, Charles Oliveira, Francis Ngannou, and Johnny Eblen. But for me, the year that Volk had, you, you have to represent. He's going to go fight Islam. Islam's done an amazing thing, but hasn't had you know a, a full year of impact like Volkanovsky did. Female Fighter of the Year, Valentina Shevchenko over Juliana Pena, Chris Cyborg, Kayla Harris, and uh, Raquel Pennington. I thought that was well-deserved as well. I was surprised Nunez wasn't on there at all, but I guess, you know, Juliana Pena took her spot. Breakthrough Fighter of the Year, Patty Pimblett over Mateusz Gamrot, Tai Tuivasa, Molly McCann, and Johnny Eblen. I mean, he, he definitely has the fandom, so I'm not surprised. Um, I, I guess I would have gave it to him as well. International Fighter of the Year comes out Chemaev over Mateusz, Makachev, Roberto, Soldik, and Volkanovsky. Yuri Prashaka and Glover Teixeira was Fight of the Year. I thought that was well-deserved. Uh, I know after the Kevin Holland fight, people were saying Fight of the Year. I would have taken that. You also had uh, Gaethje Chandler, Volkanovsky, Ortega, Kamzat Shemaev, Gilbert Burns, and Holloway versus Yair Rodriguez. Some scraps that went down this year. 
I think the Prashaka uh, Glover Teixeira one definitely deserved their roses. Knockout of the year, Michael Chandler's front kick versus El Kikui, Tony Ferguson. I, I definitely agree with that one. That was nasty. Submission of the year, Charles Arrow Oliveira with the rear naked choke versus Dustin Poirier. I understand the moment there. I would have actually picked the Jessica Andrade standing arm triangle choke over Amanda Lemos, as that is a very rare submission. Uh, but with everything at stake, I'm not surprised they gave it to, to Charles. <clears throat> Comeback of the year was Aljamain Sterling overcoming intense ridicule and the injury. Um, I, I would definitely have went Chris Curtis from what he's done, retirement, in and out of the UFC, winning again last night. Obviously, the award was already you know decided by then. Uh, but that was my choice. You also had Clay Guida versus Leonardo Santos, Sergio Pettis versus Kyoji Horoguchi, and Carla Esparza in her career. But Aljo gets the award. And then no-brainer here, upset of the year, Juliana Pena versus Amanda Nunez. Best promotion of the year, UFC. Leading man of the year, Dana White. Referee of the year, Mark, Mark Goddard. Analyst of the year, Michael Bisbing. I would have personally taken Dominic Cruz. Personality of the Year, Joe Rogan. Best MMA Programming, The Morning Combat, which I do not watch. I would have picked the MMA Hour or the Dana White Contender Series. MMA Media Source of the Year, ESPN. Journalist of the Year, Ariel Hilwani. Uh, we'll talk about him in a second. Coach of the Year, Eugene Behrman. Gym of the Year, which is City Kickboxing's coach. Uh, Israel Adesanya's coach. But City Kickboxing with the Gym of the Year, Trainer of the Year, Heather Linden, uh, Ring Card Girl of the Year, the very beautiful Brittany Palmer, and Fighting Spirit of the, Weir of the Year, Kevin Holland, in and out of the cage, helping his community. That's a tough one to beat. So those were the MMA awards. Uh, we also had some very interesting beef, and you know I'm sure everyone's already seen it. I tweeted that I'm on Team Hilwani. I like to call him the Hill versus Helwani. But um, Patty Pimblett gets Dana White on his podcast, suck it up to the boss, calls out Ariel, says he's getting money based off the fighters. I mean, Ariel, Ariel's been in this business longer than Patty's been alive. And, you know, he was a grassroots guy before the UFC was making much money, and he was making much money doing it. Uh, he's a true journalist. He's passionate for the sport. He gives the fighters a platform. He's been on a lot of different places covering the MMA and that's part of it. You know, here I am. I'm about to rebrand to a completely new MMA podcast. Would it be benefit me to make some financial income on the work that I'm putting in? Absolutely. And I'd be happy. And that's definitely part of the goal. Uh, but I'm passionate about MMA. I fucking get hyped up every single weekend. I'd like to be able to go to the fights with the podcast, be able to, you know, get some additional perks as my podcast grows. And, you know, that's part of it is having the fighters there. I would also like on my business podcast to interview fighters to tell their story of how they got to where they were, what their childhood was like, their training regimens, just so people could see if I really want to be a UFC champion, this is what's involved. Because even me having a wrestling background, rocking my misfit Meredith, Bryce Meredith uh, gear, go wild, baby. Uh, he trains here locally at the MMA lab in the LFA, trying to move his way up into the UFC. But having a wrestling background, like you're either part of wrestling or you're not, and you think you might know what's included in that when it comes to watching MMA and how hard they're training and the weight cuts, but you have no fucking clue. Unless you understand and are a part of it, it is so hard to explain. I would love to have those stories be told. But that's just journalism at its finest. I mean, everyone's benefiting on behalf of someone else, but at the end of the day, he's doing good work. He's doing quality work. He's doing it with integrity. Um, Dana's got some sort of grudge against him from things that happened years ago. And, uh, I think the MMA hour is really the only show that I watch outside of my own, you know, specific stuff. Maybe Joe Rogan, when he has the MMA fighters on, I tune in. Uh, but the MMA hour is amazing. I think Ariel does a great job. You know, he kind of is, a he's got a little bit of softness in him. He's not that he comes with the hill wani, but he's still very polite, kind, kills you with kindness. Uh, he doesn't have that dog in him, as I would say. Um, he's just been around the sport a long time. So, you know, everyone could knock Ariel a little bit. Everyone could knock anyone on anything. But I think Patty's completely in the wrong here. And then at the end of the fight, you know, he's telling Joe Rogan, Do you, are you going to pay me? Like, 
Dude, what? Get off your fucking high horse. You should have lost that fight. We'll break that down. You know, this is after the fact. But, like, where is this coming from? What in your right mind? I think it's going to have him lose some fandom. The fight performance is definitely has a stock going down. I enjoyed the ring walkout. I like his walkout song. Gets you hyped up. Uh, makes you want to go clubbing. You know, he does have a fun fighting style when he's fighting. He's got a lot of holes in his game, though. And I just think he is killing his stock. And I don't know who his management is or where this shit's coming from. But it's completely out of left field. It's ignorant. It, it's it's a shameful. And I, I just can't believe that this was the case. And props to Ariel for having the balls to fire back. Um, and, and he definitely threw some things, threw him under the bus for some things. But I just I couldn't believe that these things came out of his mouth, uh, especially after the fight with Joe Rogan. Uh, it's just like, dude, what is going on? He's a young kid. He'll figure it out. But I am not the biggest fan by any means. And I don't think he's going to be a champion at that weight class. Just throw that out there. But before we talk this UFC card, let's talk Bellator 289. Um, as I've been saying, I've been trying to get more and more into Bellator. I really have. I've studied up the fighters. I've been watching the main cards. You know, some of the prelims, there's a lot of ex-UFC guys. And we'll talk quickly about the results as I only watched a few fights. But every time I tune into Bellator, I'm reminded why I don't watch Bellator. The card was an absolute snooze fest for me. I did not enjoy the, the, the big bouts on this. And they're just missing a lot of that high skill that that brings the big big time fandom. Um, again, they're getting a, a lot of guys in the UFC that really don't belong in the UFC anymore. Other promotions that are trying to fight their way up. Every once in a while, they do have a high-level fighter that makes a big difference and, and sells cards. But uh, this wasn't it for me, man. It's just... You know, I'm not ever going to be that tuned up about a Bellator card unless it's the perfect matchmaking, which very, very rarely happens. I think the last fight I was truly hyped about was the Nemkov fight because um, I, I really do actually like Nemkov. But we had Rafian Stotts defeating Danny Sabatello versus Split Decision. This was just a wrestling match. Lots of drama with the scoring. A judge had it 45 to 50, which was completely AWOL. Um, but again, I don't really care about that. It's Bellator. The fight was what it was, and there wasn't a lot of action. Ex-UFC Liz Carmouche defeats Juliana Velasquez for the, the title via armbar in round two. Flawless performance by Carmouche, still out there performing at a high level. And then we had Patchy Mix defeating Megomed, Megomedov via guillotine in round two. I mean, what a, you know, they have like this Grand Prix thing, like, tournament style thing for the championship in Bellator and what a run Patchy's been on man uh, he's, he's done the damn thing he looked great in this fight getting a finish and uh it seems like they have you know he's going to be one of the more solid talented guys on the on the U or on the Bellator roster that's worth tuning into if you want to try to to play with Bellator like I am myself we had Dalton Rosta defeating Anthony Adams via unanimous decision Chris Lencioni defeating Cody Law via split decision. A lot of underdog victories here. And then Christian Eccles defeating Pat Downey via round one knockout. I like to tune in to Cody Law and Pat Downey's fights. Pat Downey, a high-level college uh, and international wrestler, um, getting completely shut down with that uppercut. Nasty uppercut. That was the highlight of the whole card. Um, and he was a big-time big, big time favorite. But I like watching the ex-wrestlers come in. And then uh, I've always enjoyed watching Kai Kamaka since his UFC days. He defeated Kevin Boehm via TKO in round three. That was the, the meat and potatoes of that card, but wasn't a ton of action. I thought the uppercut of Pat Downey was the biggest wow moment um, all in all. It's almost the end of the year. Obviously, UFC always puts out fights. You know, We have a couple-week break coming up. But almost every single Saturday throughout the year, there's not big breaks. Whereas Bellator PFL has a lot more break in their action. But Bellator does have one more card the end of the year. Literally the end of the year. December 31st, it's the Bellator MMA versus Risen card. So some pretty good matchups that will break down in a few weeks. Uh, that should be somewhat fun to see how the Risen top competition uh, competes with Bellator. Although it's not the best of the best of each, each uh, promotion. 
um, from, you know, from my understanding and the fights that I've seen, I don't feel like they have the best guys, but it'll still be cool to see how they, you know, how they level up and how they match up. And then Tyson Fury versus, versus Alexander Usyk is a, almost a done deal targeted for February 18th through March 4th in the Middle East. Um, that's the fight that, that gets people up. I know I'm tuning into that fight. That is must-see TV. That's probably one of the last big-time fights. Besides the uh, Ryan Garcia fight that's about to happen, Javante Davis, this is a massive, massive fight. There's only a few other fights that I'm really excited about. You know, maybe if... Um, uh, golly. Why am I missing out on the best boxer's name? Um, Jesus, it's going to kill me. Uh, I have it on the tip of my tongue. Uh, Canelo Alvarez. Canelo Alvarez is talking about potentially um, re, um, getting a rematch against Bivol, who's definitely a lot bigger of a fighter. That would be fun and worth tuning into as well. But this is awesome. Great for boxing. This is the stuff that needs to happen more. I hope it happens because it would be really, really fun to tune into. And then Ryan Garcia did get a tune-up fight officially booked. I don't have the name and the date on here. I, I didn't write it down. But him and Gervonta Davis have tune-up fights before their big fight next year. But boxing's finally got something to tune into. I'm pretty excited about those matchups. But let's talk UFC 282. I went 8-3 and three on picks in this card. Pretty good card to pick. And uh, a fight that we didn't break down early on was a nice win by TJ Brown. And one of the fighters I was most tuned up for, I tweeted about, you know, there's a guy on the early prelims that you have to, that's must-see TV. Venetia Salvador had his fight called off with a medical issue to his opponent. Uh, so he missed weight, had a medical issue, wasn't able to fight. Brutal news. I want to see this guy in the octagon. This guy is a future stud, and I believe he has that championship material and that it factor in him, and the UFC is about to learn his name. So but really bummed that he didn't get a fight. I had him on a parlay, although that the guy may, missed weight. They did say the fight was on. I put a parlay down like an hour later. It was canceled. It was like, son of a gun. But in the pre early prelims, the fact that this was in the early prelims still blows my mind. We had the man, Billy Q. Billy Corintillo with a second round TKO over Alexander Hernandez. That was a finish. Billy Q, give him 50 racks. Thank you, Dana White. And this fight definitely had some headwind for Billy. I thought Billy was just going to come in. The, the the bell sounds and overwhelm Anthony uh, Alexander, and that was not the case. Alexander, you know, he's moved down to the weight class, is so muscular and just an athletic beast that can explode, kind of like a Michael Chandler, and he came out and exploded. He, he beat down Billy Q. He got cut early. He, he had a, a nice cut on his eye going into round two, and it looked like damn near Billy Q was going to get finished in that round. And I'm freaking out. This is the first fight on my parlay since the Salvador fights off. I'm like, I cannot lose this parlay. On the first fight of the night, I thought Billy Q would come out. And he was basically just getting outstruck the whole round. Um, I could pull this up quickly. And he battled in there. That's what Billy Q does. But it, it did look like it, it was potentially going to get finished in the first. I, I was sweating bullets. Um... Just to give you a, a sense of volume differential, in round one, Billy Q had 45 total strength. Anthony's 38, but Anthony also had two takedowns, a submission attempt, and 32 significant strikes to, to Billy's 19. So he was laying it on him. There were big shots, getting the takedown. He was doing whatever he wanted to do at will. But I think that kind of tired him out. You know, he's a big muscular guy. You're putting that much energy, and Billy Q can go for days. And I was like, okay, we'll see what Billy Q can do at round two. And Billy was able to find a way and put it on Anthony. And he somehow got the finish at four minutes and 30 seconds of the round. So right at the very end of the round, I thought it was going to go round three. But this is the difference in round two. Billy Q in round one had 45 shots to Alexander's 38. Like I said, less significant. Alexander had a bunch of takedowns. Well, round two... Billy Q had 82 total strikes, 68 of those significant to Alexander's 21 total strikes. Billy Q got two takedowns of his own, and Alexander went 0 for 4 on takedown attempts. So completely changed the way of the fight in round two. Like I said, Anthony's uh, cardio and gas tank 
Just couldn't cut it and keep up with Billy Q. Happy to see Billy Q get the dub there. Final stats, Billy landed 127 total and 87 significant strikes with two takedowns and four attempts, while Alexander landed 59 total, so less than half of what Billy did. 48 of those significant. He had two takedowns and six attempts himself, and he also had that submission attempt. But hey, Alexander does look good for this weight class. He's going to be a problem. Billy Quarantillo is a high-level fighter, though. So Billy starts a new winning streak. He's 2-1 since 2021. He took a bunch of time off after the 2021 fight, so hasn't been super active. And then Alexander extends his losing streak to two, both of them this year. I would love to see Nate the Train, late Nate Landaweer versus Billy Quarantillo. That would be amazing. If not, give him Sadiq Youssef, stylistically, box office. And for Alexander, I would say Sean Woodson or TJ Brown. If he does stay at wet featherweight, those would be great fights to make. And then in the prelims, we had Chris Action Man Curtis with a second round knockout over Joaquin Buckley. Again, another finish, 50 racks. Thank you, Dana White. Um, Buckley came out aggressive, as you would expect, right? He came out, he was piecing him up early in round one. Chris landed some nice shots in round one, but uh, Buckley definitely had way more volume. He had 10 more total strikes uh, than Curtis, but it looked to be a high-level boxing uh, bout that we kind of expected coming in. We didn't think these guys would grapple, uh, but it looked like Buckley was just the better athlete, quicker, was going to, to, to win via the judges' scorecards unless he was able to find a finish. Well, round two, Chris had the nastiest counter shot right on the button, and it sat Buckley down. He was able to come swarm him and get the finish. And this is a huge win for Chris Curtis. He has been on an amazing up-and-down career trajectory. This is a huge win for him. Keep him in the rankings. You know, I, I look to see updated rankings as the UFC usually updates them on Monday night. It doesn't look like they're updated. It still has Chris Curtis at 15. Uh, but I would assume he gets to move up a little bit. Dracus Duplessis is 14. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, give the UFC website some time. They're kind of slacking half the time. Uh, but this is a huge win for him. Boosts his stock. Chris landed 36 total and significant strikes with that knockdown compared to Buckley's 50 total and significant. Chris does start a new winning streak. He is 2-1 and one this year in 2022. Staying active. He, he, he loves that action. While Buckley extends his losing streak to two, both of them this year, um, and he finishes the year at two and two, he had a very active year himself. So what's next for these guys? Give me Action Man versus Andre Mooney's. I think that would be fun. Mooney's has had a nice winning streak, hopped into the rankings pretty high as well. Uh, um, you know, a little bit of a clash of style matchup, but great for where both guys are in their careers. And for Buckley, I think you give him Phil Haas. Uh, he recovers from that knee injury. That's a banger. He had four fights this year. Give him some time. Fight Phil Haas. You know, both guys are going to be desperate for a win there. And that will be fucking grab your popcorn type of affair. Then we had the young gun, Edmund Shabazian, with a second round TKO over Dalcha Lingenbula. Another 50K bonus with the finish. And the first thing you notice in this fight. You know, Dolce's just fucking shredded, just bricked out. And his legs literally pop his shorts up. They, like, his quads and thighs are just, he's got muscles stacked on muscles that the shorts couldn't contain him. I mean, this guy is straight shredded. He lands a clean shot on you. He put everything behind a lot of shots. He's putting your lights on, lights out. But Edmonds, you know, he's textbook. He, he took some time to perfect his craft. He had a very high... Stock was a, a, a big-time prospect before he suffered some adversity. And, and he stayed clean in there. He found a way, and he got a finish. It's got to feel good for Edmund, and I'm sure he's going to fight stiffer competition moving forward. But Dolce could put anybody's lights out at any moment. Edmund was able to stay alive. He landed 60 total, 54 of those significant, compared to Dolce's 26 total, 23 significant. And Dolce was 0 for 4 on takedowns. So Edmund, you know, more than doubled the volume of Dolce, kept away from the takedowns, uh, and, and just looked smooth while doing it. He looked confident in there, and that's big for Edmund. So Edmund starts a new winning streak after that brutal three-fight losing streak. Dolce extends his losing streak to four 
and he hasn't won since January of 2021. Definitely tough sledding for him. Next for these guys, I would love to see Edmund versus Kyle Baraljo and Dolce versus Jordan Wright. I think that's the fight to make if you ask me. Then we have the big dogs. I had a feeling Jarzinho was going to come out with that smoke. And golly, Jarzinho, Rosenstrike, first round knockout over Chris Dacus. Tough couple weeks for the Dacus brothers. They're going to be at the dinner table uh, for Christmas with some New Year's resolutions, I'm sure. But uh, it only took Jarzinho 12 total insignificant strikes. Chris only landed one shot. But Jarzinho came out and wanted the finish, wanted a quick win, probably wants to get right back in the octagon and get back to where he believe he belongs. And that's all there was to say. I mean, he came out swinging, landed one, got the finish. He is powerful. He has like an 84-win kickboxing record. Very talented guy. And he starts a new winning streak going 1-1 one one this year in 2022. Chris extends his losing streak to 3. I think it makes sense now. Put him back in the octagon quickly. If Derek Lewis, the Black Beast, has his fight rebooked, then so be it. But if not, the fact that these two guys haven't fought each other, make that shit happen. Um, but if, if it is Derek Lewis back with his previous opponent, how about Ty Tuavasa? That fight would make sense for me. Coming off some losses, get Jarzinho an opportunity to crack in the top five. For Chris, I would say Blagoy Ivanov, that would be a good fight. Still a top to 15 opponent. Um, I think he's 15 or 14 and still gives him a chance to, to get a quality victory over his name because he did have a nice run. And the prelim headlined by the 18-year-old high school student, Raul Rosas Jr. with a first-round submission via face crank rear naked choke over Jay Perrin. Another finish, another 50 Gs. And this is the youngest fighter ever to get a UFC victory. He's very confident. He looks like the full deal. He was so smooth in there. Didn't look like the nerves got to him at all. He was able to get Jay Perrin's back with ease. It didn't even look like he tried. Jay talking all that shit. It's got to be, you know, a hit to the ego when you're 30 years old. That's like me losing to an 18-year-old. Uh, that, that can't be the easiest thing to, to, to consume. But Raul made it look like slight work, man. He landed nine total, three significant strikes. He had two takedowns and three attempts and two submission attempts. Jay only landed four total strikes and significant strikes. So Raul extends his winning streak to seven. He has two in the UFC. Jay extends his losing streak to three, and he is still seeking his first UFC win. I'm not sure if he'll be in the UFC much longer, but if he is, you could book him against Mar Marello Rojo. And for Raul, how about Keeling Aori or Brandon Davis? I think he's still got a slow play, Raul. I know he's got the confidence. He's saying, I'll fight for the title, do this and that. He looks, you know, like the full deal. He looks like he's got the experience of a 26 to 28-year-old, but I'm sure they're going to slow play him. They're not going to put him in the rankings anytime soon. But he looks, you know, it although it was Jay Perrin, he made that shit look easy, and he looks like he's a real Dylan deserves to be in the UFC. And uh, in the post-fight interview with Jay, Joe Rogan, he said, I want to get this bonus and buy my mom a minivan so she could drive me to practice. Minivan is going to be showing up. You got to love it. Uh, this is what makes the UFC so great and sports in general, these types of stories. And then in the main card, probably the fight I was looking toward, uh, uh, forward to the most we had Aaliyah Topiria with a second-round submission via arm triangle choke over Bryce Mitchell. Again, another finish, 50 Gs. And Bryce, since the fight, has said that he had the flu, didn't feel like he was himself, kind of wish he didn't take the fight. You know, he's, you're battling through the flu right before a fight. I don't think the way these guys fought, that would have made a difference, to be honest. Coming in, I said that Ilya is just too... He's too textbook, right? His striking is too clean. Uh, he, he doesn't have loopy shots. Bryce is kind of just a brawler. Uh, Bryce has good grappling and good, good jujitsu, but it's kind of at Bryce's own world and style that he does it. Ali is just as good on the bottom, just as good on the ground. He's strong. He's young. He's way more explosive and powerful. And I figured the striking would be the difference, and that really was the case here. Um, Bryce even was able to finally get a takedown. And Aaliyah was able to be comfortable. I think he ended up reversing it, getting back up and piecing up Bryce again. But this was, you know, complete, utter domination. 
I thought the fight would be a lot closer. Um, you know, Bryce definitely tried to grapple, but Aaliyah, Aaliyah was able to defend it. And if Bryce can't grapple, it's, it's going to be a tough night in the office against such a clean striker like Aaliyah. And as young as he is, this man is going to be a fucking problem. Statistically, Bryce landed 46 total and 36 significant strikes. He did have a takedown, although it was nine attempts, so not very good percentage there. And Aaliyah landed 53 total, 40 significant, so just a little bit higher volume. But he had that knockdown, had the submission attempt. Beautiful performance by Topiria. Uh, I know the beef is, you know, him versus Patty. That'll never happen. Aaliyah would probably knock him out in the matter of minutes, to be honest. Bryce does start a new losing streak. He was technically undefeated. You know, the UFC had recorded him with the one loss from the Ultimate Fighter semifinal. But now he definitely is not undefeated. Uh, technically, his first loss. Aaliyah extends his winning streak to 13. He is 5-0 in the UFC. Where does this guy go from here, though? I mean, they could really shoot him up. I would like to see him against Calvin Cater or Giga Chikadze. I think those would be great fights and would really get us a cool, a true measuring stick of where Topiria's talent is right now. And those would be the fights to make. And for Bryce, how about Nathaniel Wood? I think that would be must-see. Still high-quality fight. Uh, Bryce still deserves to have a high-quality opponent. Then we had this fucking fight, man. This shit was chaos. We had Drakee. When I look at his name, it's hard for me to say it. I know how to say it. Drakus Du Plessis. Third round submission via rear naked choke over Darren Till. This was the actual fight of the night, which I was a little bit surprised about. Uh, but the story here was Drakus got Till up against the cage easily. Literally just had wrist control. Right, I have Till against the cage. I got his back wrist, and I'm just teeing off on his fucking face. Yeah, I don't know how many strikes he had, um, but Drakus is known for kind of blowing the load and, and emptying his gas tank. He did. He was putting everything in these fights, and Till had some of them with his hand and his glove defending, which definitely doesn't make it clean strikes. But the ref almost wanted to call it, and Till had to like talk to him, like, "Don't fucking call this fight. I'm fine. I'm fine." And uh, somehow made it through the round. But that was basically round one. Round two, Drakus is completely gassed. I mean, so is Darren Till. You're, you're basically getting manhandled against the cage. And all Darren Till was doing was using his nice power left. It's straight. It's fast. It comes out of nowhere. But you can't keep doing the same strike and the same strike. You got to mix it up a little bit. And all the time that Till's been out, he's buddies with Kamzat. I would assume that he would be better at taking down or uh, defending a takedown it looked like he wasn't even trying to sprawl. You know, he could have been gassed from round one, but it didn't look like there was much improvement there. And for as good of a striker that he is, he wasn't mixing it up when Drakus was, you know, pretty much pieced up. He landed a couple big shots. He potentially could have finished them. You know, maybe a takedown of his own. You know, just gather your own energy while you're on top of him. There was just so many things I thought this could have played out after he did so well weathering the storm. I mean, props to him. I don't know how many people can take 60 of Dracus's shots against the cage, you know, and have the will to, to, to get out of that or, you know, what kind of energy you even have left. So you can't be too hard on him because he, 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 he had the heart of a warrior and he made it through that. But I, I hold Till to such high standards. I thought he was going to come out and find a way in round two. Even his corner said, like, dude, you have him. He is gassed. He is completely gassed. And all he was doing was loading up that big left. Um, I just felt like he could have been well, more well-versed. He could have thrown in some more kicks, some leg kicks. Uh, just work at something, some body shots, you know, get the takedown. But it, it is what it is. I just It sucks to see him lose like that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, Till landed 58 total and 35 significant strikes. He did have a reversal and a takedown of his own. Dracus landed 117 total, 86 of those significant he had six takedowns and three submission attempts. He was six for six. Again, uh, a lot of us thought working with Kamzat and going to Sweden, uh, that would have been uh, short up a little bit. But a lot of it could have been gas tank as well. Till seems to be in high spirits. A lot of people are saying, get, a, get him out of the UFC. You know, I, I post on Twitter, MMA Twitter is just so ridiculous. They think they're just the experts. You know, here I am talking to you guys like I'm the expert, but like, you know, I, I have quite a few years of experience as a UFC fan and, 
you know, really breaking things down. That's why I feel like I, I can deliver an amazing podcast because I do have a good angle at this. Darren Till can still brawl, guys. He can still fight at a high level. You know, he's went through a lot of injuries. Supposedly, he had a compromised knee coming into this fight, some sort of knee injury. Um, you know, he's already fucked up his knee multiple times. He will probably get a, a diagnosis on that sooner than later. But it's not like he, he can't fight in the UFC or maybe even in the top 15. He's not even 30 years old yet. You know, he's not even in his fighting prime. He'd been thrown to the dogs at an early age. He had a bit, a lot of confidence. He's probably trying to refine that. I'm sure we'll see him come back. The fact that people just want to write people off so quickly, it just blows my mind. Anyways, um, Dricus extends his winning streak to six. He stays undefeated in the UFC. Darren extends his losing streak to three. He has not won since November of 2019. Where I see these guys going, I would say, give me Blonde Brunson and Dricus. Let, let, let's see what Dricus could do with with a, a little bit higher-ranked opponent. And for Till, I'd love to see him square up against Anthony Hernandez. Uh, still a high-quality, high-class fight, a winnable fight, a striking affair. Get him back in, back in action. Then we have the short-notice Santiago Ponzanibio with a third-round knockout over Alex Morano. Again, finish, give him 50 Gs. And this was interesting because I can't remember exactly how many days, but it was probably like 12 days Alex Morano had accepted this fight. And Morano was doing work. He he has that like bouncy style where he's barely ever on his heels. He's always on his toes. He's moving, he's moving, he's fainting. And it's hard for a guy like Santiago who likes to have, you know, two, three punch combos, uh, get some power shots in there to really find Murano. Um, but again, I, I'm sure Murano is always training. He's prepared. But on a short notice fight, you know, how good can you get your cardio? Because round two, he definitely started fading. Round three, it was a completely different affair. Murano had Santiago rocked a few times. And I had picked Santiago. I had put him in a parlay. I was getting a little nervous. And uh, it just shows you, dude, Murano, he, he could deservedly be fighting in the top 15. This kid has some quality wins. He's he's put some people to sleep. Uh, he's well-rounded. And he was doing anything and everything against Santiago for, you know, definitely throughout the whole first into the second. But he started tapering away. And that Argentinian dagger, the heart of the fighter, he was able to pull through and, and get a huge fucking knockout in round three. His corner coached him up, said, dude, you're down two rounds. You have to foot. Like, the second round was somewhat close. They didn't care. We have to fucking get the finish. Santiago got the fucking finish. Santiago landed 66 total in significant strikes. He did have a knockdown. He was 0 for 1 in takedown attempts. While Alex landed 38 total and significant strikes with a knockdown of his own. So they both pieced each other up, knocked each other down. But the Argentine dagger comes out victorious. Uh, Santiago starts a new winning streak. He is 1-1 one one in 2022. Alex has his four-fight winning streak come to an end. He finishes the year 1-1 one one himself. I wouldn't mind to see Santiago rebook versus Robbie Lawler or uh, Daniel Rodriguez. Uh, those would be great fights. Just Lawler and Santiago is such a sweet stylistic legacy fight. And D-Rod's right up there too. It would be a good uh, stylistic matchup. And for Alex, give him Kalen Williams. Pretty much right where he's at in the rankings, but he deserves that. I don't think his stock goes down off this short-notice fight that he damn near won. Against a very good Ponzinibbio. And then the co-main, we had Patty Pimblett with the unanimous decision over Jared Gordon. And this is where the, the, the night just changed paces, right? You get Santiago off a clutch third-round knockout. We have all these finishes. We have great performances. And, and Patty definitely lost this fight the way that the UFC should be scored. Round one, Jared was hitting him with so many left hooks and hitting him hard. Patty, once he's moving and once he gets out of it, out of it, out of his like combinations, he holds his chin up so high and, and Jared was all over it. His team was all over it. I thought he might knock out Patty early and props to Patty for having that durability and, and taking those shots. He landed some pretty good shots of his own. Round two, you could say, you know, as a toss-up, Patty potentially won that fight. Jared was in control pretty much the whole fight. Patty had a good finish. Round three, it was Jared putting Patty up against the, the cage. 
Patty landed a couple strikes. He landed a couple strikes. Patty, you could say, finished the last 30 seconds a little bit better. But there's no way that the way the scorecards had broken down that you give Patty uh, round one and two of the judges gave Patty round one. So that's where the biggest controversy to me is. You could give Patty round two. But even if Jared didn't land a ton of strikes, how do you give Patty that round? He didn't really do anything. I just, I, I don't get it. So, um, yeah, could have Jared, you know, try to win out on his sword and clang and bang in round three, sure. Um, and th- But then this is the thing that makes me, not, you know, I can't stand Patty. Oh, this was slight work. You know, this was an easy win. You know, I want the fight of the night. I want 50K. He didn't get 50K, thank God. But he's talking about fight of the night, performance of the night. Oh, this is so good. Everything's so great. Come on, bro. You're, 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 you're delusional. Uh, you're trying to keep your stock high, and it, it shouldn't be. But anyways, statistically, Patty landed 97 total and 63 significant strikes. He was 0 for 3 in takedown attempts. Jared landed 100 total and 58 significant strikes. He had three takedowns and six attempts, so 50%. So landed more strikes, a little bit less significant, according to the UFC website. Again, this is a round-based business on how the fights are determined. It's not, you know, hey, he had a w- one good round. Let's give it to him. Uh, everyone's just shocked about how that played out. Uh, people will compare it to a lot of fights. You know, recently the Sean O'Malley fight. The Sean O'Malley fight was a lot closer than this fight was, in my opinion. Call me biased, but uh, this was pretty fucked up. So, Patty extends his winning streak to six. He stays undefeated in the UFC. Jared starts a new losing streak and is one and two in 2022. I highly doubt, you know, a lot of people I see like, what to do next? Put Patty up with the big names. I doubt that's going to happen. Um, I don't think they're going to put him in the deep waters. I could see him putting him up against someone like Claudio Poyez, who just lost to Dan Hooker, you know, more of a, a submission specialist. That could be a good matchup. And for Jared, give him Clay Guida. I think that would fit the bill. Uh, Clay Guida's been on a terror fight. A guy that, that that's on a move should have won the fight anyways. That'd be a fun stylistic matchup. Then we had the main event. I actually enjoyed this fight. A lot of people said they didn't, but we had Jan Blakovich with a split decision draw with Megomed Ankolaev. And the story here for me was these fucking quick, just shin on shin kicks that Jan was doing. He fucked Megomed's legs up. I mean, completely fucked them up, dude. And another rumor, supposedly Megomed came in with a compromised knee uh, coming into the fight. But when you're getting pieced up like he was in the first two rounds, I mean, he was landing his own shots, but those legs, I don't think many people would have finished the fight after the second round of those legs kicks because it was one leg and you could see the bruising, the pain. Megomed's like yelping in pain, hopping around. But then once Jan starts piecing up the other one because Megomed had to switch stances because he could not allow that back leg to get kicked anymore, I was like, all right, this is not looking good. In my mind, I'm on Twitter like, what the fuck? When is Ankalaev from Dagestan going to start wrestling? Like, tried a couple times half-assed. Jan blocked him. Finally is forced to wrestle. Throws kicks of his own. And is just a tough son of a bitch. To be able to finish that fight, in my opinion, win that fight, he won the last three rounds, on those compromised legs is fucking insane. And uh, it showed so much heart. Heart of a champion. I don't think I would... Less than five people in the entire UFC that could have withstood that from the fucking Polish power that Blakovich possesses. So I thought it was a fun fight, and I thought Megomed was going to win. They gave it a split decision draw. Not terribly mad about it, but it was a vacant title. Now it's still vacant. And Dana White clearly wasn't happy. He said after the UFC in the press conference that he zoned out during the fight, and they already had the next match fucking made. Um, which blows my mind. Uh, Jamal Hill said they had called him and told him before the fighters were even out of the octagon that that was the next fight. So pretty wild shit. You don't see that very often. Usually doesn't ever want to talk about what's next, but something about this fight just really irked him off. I enjoyed it as a fight fan. We got to see two and a half rounds of striking. Then we got to see a guy battle through injury. And we got to see a guy wrestle, grapple, do the whole nine. But um, 
The thing that killed me about this fight was the post-fight interview with Blachowicz. You know, Joe Rogan's asking these questions. He's all fucked up. He's like, man, I don't know. Do you think you should have won? Like, just sometimes you got to not ask those intense questions when the guy's all fucked up and went through a fucking half-hour war, in my opinion, but it is what it is. I just thought it, you know, didn't help the fighter represent themselves and look good in the moment. But statistically, Jan landed 79 total and 55 significant strikes. Magomed landed 191 total, 78 significant strikes with two takedowns and 10 attempts. Jan ends uh, his one-fight winning streak. Magomed ends his nine-fight winning streak. I personally wouldn't, wouldn't be opposed to a rematch. You know, obviously, it's going to be Jamal Hill and Glover Teixeira. Um, if it's not going to be a rematch, how about Jan versus Anthony Smith? Anthony Smith was supposed to fight Jamal Hill. High, high-class fighter, deserves to fight a high-level comp- uh, competitor. And Megomed versus Alexander Rakic, a guy who could be fighting up for the title sooner than later. Um, you know, he was fighting Jan Blokovich, got hurt again. Um, he's had a lot of injury issues, so it'll be some time, but I'm sure Magomed's going to need some time as well. So kind of a weird way to end the great night, but I still loved the card. It was a banger, some good fucking fights. And, you know, before I started breaking this down yesterday, I'm like, man, we got two weeks off. Like this card's probably going to suck. It's a fight night card. This card has some amazing matchmakers. Like, bravo to the matchmakers on this card. It's just maybe not a Conor McGregor-like fighter, but the way the two fighters are, where they're at their careers, brilliant matchmaking. We got USC Fight Night. Uh, I believe it's like six. I don't even know what it is. We'll just say Fight Night Vegas, another Apex. The prelims start at 1 p.m. Pacific on ESPN+. Plus. The main card at 4 p.m. on ESPN+, Plus as well. Some fights that we aren't breaking down. Corey McKenna fights. Jake Matthews fights. Some decent fights in the prelims. But we're going to start on the prelims. Sergey Morozov, a 33-year-old fighter with an 18-5 record, taking on Journey Newsom, also 33 years old with a 10-3 record. And this is the former M1 champion and Morozov. That's why I'm talking about it. I think this guy's got some pretty high-level skill. And a former champion... Uh, Journey Newsom, who is a champion in two separate promotions. So pretty high-level fight. Guys both in their uh, prime early on. Sergey is an M1 alum and former champion. He is on a one-fight winning streak and is 1-1 one one in 2022. He is only 2-2 two two in the UFC, but he's got thrown to some, some, some beasts early on in his career. Eight of his 18 wins are via knockout. Three of his five losses are via submission. Journey has a background in Taekwondo, boxing, and BJJ. He has a black belt in BJJ and an orange belt in Taekwondo. He is a King of the Cage alum. He was a prime fighting alum and former champion. He is on a one-fight winning streak. He has one, two-and-one in the UFC, and two of his three losses are via knockout. So both guys, you know, not amazing UFC records. They need to win. They're in their prime. But especially Morozov, uh, I just think has potential and still could be a problem for a lot of fighters. So I'm really excited for this fight. It, again, just the matchmaking, perfect match. I'm excited to see what Morozov can do from here. He's just too skilled to continue to lose in the UFC. You know, he lost early to someone like Umar Nurmagomedov. Again, tough level talent to start. I'm taking Morozov here. We're putting him on our parlay. We we staying hot from this weekend. We putting it. Uh, we marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on, we have Manel Starboy Cop, 29 years old with a 17-6 and six record and the number nine next to his name, taking on David Undertaker Dvorak, 30 years old with a 20-4 and four record and the number 12 next to his name. Flyweights just don't get a lot of love. This is going to be a fucking scrap, and it's happening in the prelims. Again, though, the matchmaking here is fucking phenomenal. I can't wait for this one. Fight of the night potential. Um, Manel trains out of AKA Thailand, which, you know, uh, they've been on a roll. He is a risen alum and former champion. He is on a two-fight winning streak and hasn't fought in 2022, so he's had some time to, to get his shit together. He's 2-2 two two in the UFC 
and 11 of his 17 wins are via knockout. David is an orthodox fighter. He's on a one-fight losing streak. He is 3-1 in the UFC. Eight of his 20 wins are via knockout. Eight via submission. So 16 of his 20 fights via finish. And I'm just intrigued to see Manel back in the octagon, man. First time in 2022. David faced his toughest test earlier this year in March against Matthäus Nicolau. And he battled him. Manel is on an impressive winning streak after early losses to Alexander Pantoja and Nicolau as well. Some of the best in the division. And Nicolau was a split decision. I think this one might go the distance. Uh, might not go the distance. I think they're going to come out. It's going to go everywhere, man. Flyweights are fast. It'll go on the ground, take down submissions. But someone's going to get the finish. I'm taking Manel. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking that ish down. And we getting that bread. Moving on. We have Brian Pooh Bear Battle. 28 years old with an 8-1 record. Taking on Renat Gladiator Fakharadinov. 31 years old with a 20-2 record. This is going to be a great back and forth affair. I think both men right in their primes. You know, Brian a little bit earlier. But about to be in his prime. And they're looking to keep the momentum they have going in the UFC so they could continue to move up and get some high-quality fights, really build their brands. Well, Brian, he's on a seven-fight winning streak. He's an Ultimate Fighter alum and champion. He's a King of the Cage alum. He's 3-0 in the UFC, and four of his eight wins are via submission. Renat is on a 15-fight winning streak. 15. He is 1-0 in the UFC. 11 of his 20 wins are via knockout. Six via submission. So 17 of his 20 fights are via finish. Brian's definitely been an underdog and has proved people wrong. He was one of the last picks in the Ultimate Fighter House, ended up winning it. But he just knows how to use his length, grapple right at the right moments. I'm not sure if he's going to be able to do that with Renat, though. Renat's well-rounded. He's very experienced. He has good talent. I think he is a better striker and is going to find his way to victory here. I am not putting this on a parlay, though. I am taking Renat Fakharadinov. And the Nurmagomedovs continue. Their reign continues. We have Saeed Nurmagomedov, 30 years old, with a 16-2 record and the number 15 next to his name, taking on Sadyukub Kakaramanov, 27 years old, with a 10-2 record. And again, it's just another fight with another Nurmagomedov. You already know it comes with that. Uh, Saeed has suffered a UFC loss, but he has been continuing to climb in the bantamweight division as he enters his prime right at 30 years old. He's fighting a guy that's new to the UFC, but also lost to Umar Nurmagomedov in the PFL tournament. So I'm sure he's going to get some, some advice and some game plans from there. Saeed is on a three-fight winning streak. He is 5-1 in the UFC and 2-0 in 2022. Saeed Yokub is on a four-fight winning streak. He is a cage fighter alum. He is 2-0 in the UFC and four of his 10 wins are via submission. Now, Saeed has definitely had more adversity than most of the Nurmagomedovs. He had some tough tests in the UFC. He has improved each fight, though, from what I've seen quite a bit, and I'm sure he's going to have some intel from Umar. For that reason, I'm taking Saeed. I'm putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Again, though, brilliant matchmaking. These are two guys that are, are definitely, you know, backs against the wall, but have showed a lot of high potential. We get Julian, the Cuban Missile Crisis Marquez, 32 years old with a 9-3 and three record, taking on Darren Wynn, 33 years old with a 7-3 and three record. I think both men are going to come out guns a-blazing. They're going to give it everything they fucking got. They're, you know, Wynn, an ex-wrestler, uh, Julian, uh, a, a fucking just savage. They both got smoked in their previous fights. They've take, they're on losing streaks. They've taken a lot of damage and they want to right the ship and no one's going to want it more than them. So it's really going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Julian trains out of Glory MMA. Two of his last three fights have been fight of the night or performance of the night. This guy likes to fucking brawl. He's on a one fight losing streak. He is a Dana White Contender Series LFA and a Bellator alum. He is 4-2 in the UFC, 
Six of his nine wins are via knockout, and he has a four-inch leg reach advantage. Darren, he has a wrestling background. He was a JUCO champion at St. Louis Community College of Merrimack. He's on a one-fight losing streak. He is a Bellator and LFA alum, and he is two and three in the UFC. Both men could grapple. Usually when that happens, I expect them to keep the standing. You know, Darren might mix in some wrestling here and there. I would be surprised if this did go all three rounds. This fight should be fireworks right before the main main card. Both men fighting for their UFC lives. I'm fucking here for it. I am taking Julian Marquez, and I am not putting him on a parlay. To start the main card, we have Cody Brundage, 28 years old with an 8-2 record, taking on Michael Hussar Olsolajic. Oleksijic. I can't remember how to say his name. We'll just keep moving on. <laughs> 27 years old with a 17-5 and five record. And to start the main card, we get guys that have been up and down as well. They're looking to get their UFC careers on track. Cody trains at a factory X Muay Thai. He's on a two-fight winning streak, and he is 2-1 and one in the UFC. He is an LFA and Dana White Contender Series alum. And four of his eight wins are via knockout, three via submission, so seven of his eight wins have been via finish. Michael is on a one-fight winning streak. Uh, he is 5-3 and three in the UFC. 12 of his 17 wins are via knockout. Three of his five losses via submission. I liked what I saw from Cody in his fight against Treshawn Gore. I believe he will scrap his way to victory here, but I expect this to be a fucking dogfight. It's going to go everywhere. It's going to come down to the wire. And sadly, it's probably going to go in the hands of the judges. I'm taking Cody Brundage, but I am not putting them on a parlay. Now we get the best, most high class and skilled division in the UFC. Really, really about to deliver if you ask me. This should be fight of the night. We got Drew Dober, 34 years old. 25 and 11 record versus Bobby King Green, 36 years old with a 29, 13 and one record. Again, this should be fight of the night. I expect a full on brawl, banger alert. Grab your popcorn, grab your sodas. This shit's about to go down. Drew trains out of Elevation Fight Team. He has a brown belt in BJJ a black belt in Taekwondo. Four of his last six fights have been fight of the night or performance of the night. He is a Titan FC and Bellator alum. He is tied with Edson Barboza and Melvin Guillard for the second most knockouts in the UFC lightweight history with seven. He likes to put on a show. 12 of his 25 wins are via knockout. He is on a two fight winning streak, both in 2022. And he has a five inch leg reach advantage. Now, this is Bobby's first fight back from the suspension, the USADA suspension that he had. He's got a purple belt in BJJ. He is a King of the Cage alum and former champion. He is a Strike Force alum. He's on a one-fight losing streak. He is 1-1 one and one in 2022, and 10 of his 29 wins are via knockout. Now, Bobby broke his arm. He had to pull out of a fight. He had the USADA suspension. He's just seemed to be a little crazy. He's, a, he's a kind of a wild card. I'm not too sure where his mindset is right now. He is a fucking dog. He'll do whatever it takes no matter how he's feeling. I'm sure he's going to come in like he always does, and he's ready to fucking clang and bang, especially when he know, knows he has Drew Dober on the other side. Dober's a little younger. I do think he's more durable compared to Bobby. I think he's going to outlast him in a straight war here. This shit's going to be fun. Don't blink. I'm taking Drew Dober. But I'm not putting him on a parlay. Just fucking great matchmaking, man. This fucking fight. Most people probably don't know about a lot about these fighters in this fight. But where they are at, this is such a crucial fight for these guys. And it is so hard to pick. They're so evenly matched. They, they, they're veterans of the sport. They've been around for a long time. They've, they've had highlight reels. They've suffered tough losses. We get Alex... Bruce Leroy Caceres, 34 years old with a 19 and 13 record 
and the number 15 next to his name, taking on Julian Juicy J. Arosa, 33 years old with a 28-10 and 10 record. Again, bravo to the matchmakers. This is the perfect fight at the perfect time for these guys where they're at in their career. If either fighter wants to continue to be in the top 15 and have high-class fights, make the real bread, you have to get a win here. Alex is a southpaw fighter. He is an ultimate fighter and king of the cage alum. He's on a one-fight losing streak. Seven of his 19 wins are via submission. Seven of his 13 losses are also via submission. Julian trains out of Extreme Couture. He is an ultimate fighter and king of the cage alum. He is on a three-fight winning streak. 11 of his 28 wins are via knockout. 12 via submission. So 23 of his 28 fights via finish. Five of his 19 losses are also via knockout. I think this is going to be a war. It's going to be high-class MMA. What I mean MMA, we're talking kicking. We're talking punching. We're talking grappling. These guys are going to have to dig deep, and I'm sure they know that. I like the momentum that uh, Julian has right now. I believe he's really hit his stride since going to Extreme Couture. For that reason, I'm taking Julian, but I am not putting this fight on a parlay. Moving on, we have Amir the Prince Albazi, 29 years old with a 15-1 record and the number 8 next to his name, taking on Alessandro Nono Costa, 26 years old with a 12-2 record. Now, Amir's a problem, man. He, he's been on a tear. He looks legit. For them to give him a short-notice fight against this Alessandro Castro guy making his UFC debut, he must be somewhat legit. You know, it was definitely a fill-in due to injuries. But Amir is on a four-fight winning streak. He is a Bellator alum. Nine of his 15 wins are via submission. Alessandro is a Dana White Contender Series alum. He is on a seven-fight winning streak. And six of his 12 wins are via submission. I think Amir really hasn't had to change his game plan as he's going to stick to what, what, what he always does. He's going to wrestle. He's going to smother him. He's going to look for a submission opportunity and look for the finish. I'm betting on that game plan. I'm taking Albazi. We putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down and we getting that bread. Then I, I know I've said this fight could be fight of the night. Just pure beauty of MMA and the talent of both fighters. This is like, don't fuck, you know, this isn't the Bobby Green, Drew Dober going to be just fucking straight clock, head clocking each other. This is going to be beautiful MMA at its finest. When I watched Demir Ismugulov versus um, Kutataladze, I think it was the most beautiful display of MMA I've ever seen. We're about to see some high-level shit in this fight. And the fact that they're giving Armin Demir at this point in time, I mean, he's ranked higher than him for one, but just shows how skilled he is at 26 years old. You know, everyone's talking about Topiria as a young stud. Um, Armin Tessarian is the real fucking deal. We get Armin Tessarian, 26 years old with an 18-3 and record, and the number nine next to his name versus Demir Ismugulov, 31 years old with a 24 and 1 record and the number 12 next to his name. Again, this shit's going to be high level and I'm all fucking for it. This these fights are going to make my day just the matchmaking and, and the, where everyone is this is some raw shit. Armin just suffered his first UFC loss in a battle with Mateusz Gamrot. Um it was a fucking scrap, man. It went down to the wire. Both have high level wrestling and striking. I'm positive we will see this go anywhere, and it's going to be a beautiful display. Armin is a master of sport and freestyle wrestling. His last three fights have been performance of the night or fight of the night. This guy's shown up and shown out. Seven of his 18 wins are via knockout. Demir is an M1 alum and former champion. He had three successful title defenses. He was the 2017 M1 fighter of the year as well, and he's on a 19-fight winning streak. He is 5-0 in the UFC. 12 of his 24 wins are via knockout. I'm sure that Armin is going to look to grapple here, but Demir is so well-versed. I think that Demir is going to be too experienced. He's in his prime. Armin isn't quite there. Armin has faced very stiff competition early, but I'm rolling with Demir. I am avoiding this on parlays if possible.
Can't wait for that fight, though. And then the main event that was booked got pushed back. Now it's rebooked. This is going to be a scrap and a great way to finish the night off. We get Jared, the killer gorilla, Cannoneer, 38 years old with a 15-6 and six record, and the number three next to his name, taking on Sean Strickland, 31 years old with a 25-4 and four record, and the number seven next to his name. What a fun scrap we get for the main event, man. A striking battle. Both men are going to go for blood. This fight was called off earlier this year. I'm glad they kept this matchup uh, together as it's going to deliver for us fight fans. Jared is an orthodox fighter. He trains out of the MMA lab. He has a purple belt in BJJ. He's on a one-fight losing streak and is 1-1 one one in 2022. 10 of his 15 wins are via knockout. Sean trains out of syndicate MMA. He has a brown belt in BJJ. He was the 2020 comeback fighter of the year. He is a King of the Cage alum and former champion with five uh, successful title defenses. He is on a one-fight losing streak. He is 1-1 one one already in 2022. 10 of his 25 wins are via knockout, and two of his four losses are also via knockout. He likes to go out on a sword. I think Jared's going to mix in some grappling a little bit here, and I think he's just going to be too well-rounded for Sean. But Strickland has amazing defense. He pushes the pace. He brings the fight to you. I don't really know if that benefits him in this matchup, much like the Alex Pieta fight. But this one's going to be a scrap. I'm taking the killer gorilla. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Enjoy this. The matchmaking, I mean, there's one, two, three, four, five, Eight amazingly matched fights on this card. Just amazing. Early Saturday, no college football really happened in the FCS playoffs. Tune the fuck in and enjoy it. Because we have two weeks off before another deep UFC Apex card headlined by Kev Kelvin Gastelum and Nasser Dinamavov, which should be hella, a hella good time as well. But this weekend, it's a fight night card, but it's going to be a fun one. You'll regret it if you don't tune in. Uh... Episode 112, though, we're wrapping up the end of the year here. I'm planning for this rebrand. We're about to pump this shit out. Stay tuned. See you next week.